All right, so take your Bible, and uh, we are in 1 John chapter 3, and uh, we're going to start at verse number 4, but before we do that, I have a special song as an introduction to the sermon today, so let's let the song go, and then we'll get into the Word. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker if you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, save it. He's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day and dead of night. We've all found ourselves wanting. From the same old fire We've all run to things we know just ain't right And there's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need Jesus, who has come to set the captive free, right in line with the word that was given and what just happened before. But in 1 John chapter 3, if you're new to the church, uh, we've been going through this book of 1 John. We're in chapter 3. Today we're looking at verses 4 through 12. And so we're just going along passage by passage as the Lord leads us until we finish. 
Uh, if you haven't been around, uh, coming out of the previous passage, which was a glorious passage that had to do with the Lord's coming back, rapture of the saints, the revelation of Christ, and uh, verse number three, if you look at your Bible, if we have this hope in us, that Jesus is coming back, we'll do all we can do to purify our lives and live a holy, righteous, and good life. And it's all, it's all good. But John now continues with the idea of, okay, we're, we're, we're beyond the rapture part. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty daily life routine of living out our faith in real life. My Bible uh, has a heading for different passages. It says, The Practice of Righteousness. So as we get into these verses, and let me just give you a little bit of heads up. Uh, This passage was a little bit, uh, what's the word, murky. It was a little murky for me. Because some things that John is saying, uh, I wasn't really sure what he was saying. When I got into it, I found out that a lot of it was was all written in the Aramaic language. And the present... uh, the present participle tense or some, some futuristic tense, which I'll explain in a minute. So it needs a little explanation as we go along. So let me read it, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Verse number four. Now this is coming after verse number three about the glorious hope in Christ. Whoever commits sin, boy, what a change of pace. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins is neither, has neither seen Him nor known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He is the chain breaker. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his, his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. Lord God, thank you for your word and thank you for the freedom we have to read and study and talk about your word uh, today in this country. I pray, Lord, that you uh, help me to share the the thoughts you put on my heart to help me to communicate these things to the body of Christ in such a way, Lord, that the church would be encouraged and and blessed by the proclamation and preaching of your word. Those at home will will feel your Holy Spirit even even through live stream. And and Lord, that uh, in the process of that, that you, Lord, will be honored and glorified and, and you will be pleased with your people that are striving to do your work here on earth. So, Holy Spirit, come. We invite you to come speak through me and, and to me and to everyone through this word today. And, Lord, let your perfect will be done. Let, let the results be exactly what you want them to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, like the last couple of weeks... 
Um, we're going to get through half of this sermon today, and Lord willing, do the next half next week. So we're going to go through it verse by verse, and let me just tell you right now that it's going to take a little time to go through this verse by verse. You'll see as we go through it. But in verse number four, uh, if you look at verses three and four, just the, the, John is, is speaking to the church, and, and, and the Lord is speaking to the church uh, in... Uh, in, in light of the previous section, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Right? Verse 2 and 3. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what we're going to be like. We know that when he's revealed, we'll be like him, we'll be changed, etc., etc. And if we have this hope, we'll do all that we can to keep ourselves clean and purified as we await his coming. So he's, the Lord is coming back for a bride that's clean, not dirty but clean and holy, to, to, to relate this to the gift and the word that came earlier. He's not coming back for the church that's dressed in death clothes. He's coming back for a church that's clothed in righteous robes. We, we've been cleansed, we've been sanctified, we've been set free, we've been delivered, and we're doing our very best to walk as people of God in the midst of this generation that we live in. So when he says in verse number 4, he says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know, living in a sinful lifestyle is like living in the Wild West, where anything goes, anything and everything goes. There's no moral code. There's no right or wrong. You just do what you want to do. If it feels good, you do it. Uh, I was, uh, last week, Pamela and I drove to New York, and had a wonderful visit with my mom. Hi, mom, if you're on there. Um, but the roadway is, is loaded with signage. The speed limit, not to go this way, that way, you know, how to do things. And I was just thinking, what if there was no, none of that? What if there was no speed limit? Man, well, in a way, it's kind of like that now, come to think of it. But people just do what they want. But if there was no speed limit, it would be very dangerous. Think if there were no red lights or no crosswalks or no, 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 no speed bumps or no, no way of, of slowing us down and no rules to, to abide by. And uh, it would be a very dangerous place to live in. Think about life, if I, I was thinking about this, if there was no like, property boundaries around where we live or what is ours, and it's just kind of a free-for-all. If, if conniving and manipulating are all commonplace, and where stealing is regular, and there's no moral code, no sense of right or wrong. And spiritually, it's the same way. Sin violates God's code, God's rule. If, if there's sin, if we're living in sin, we're living in a free-for-all. We're living in chaos. We're living in, uh, we're living in a, a lifestyle that's non-productive. Uh, that's why we sang earlier, uh, who takes our chaos and puts it into order? Can anyone relate? A lot of us had chaos before in our lives. But we come to Christ and he puts things in order for us. But anyway, sin is the opposite of that. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In verse number 5, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Can I, can I say that again? He was manifested not to give us a new car, not to give us new clothes, not to give us this or that or whatever. He came to deliver us from sins. That's why Jesus came. 
Now, if those other things happen, hallelujah. But he came, he manifested himself to take away our sin. Nothing else could do it. And in him, there is no sin. He's the perfect lamb of God. I want to just look at the word manifested for a minute. He mentions it again in verse number 10. But in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, John, I'll just paraphrase, John says, we heard him, we saw him, we handled him. We know that this Jesus is real and true. We, we, We touched him and he was manifested. He came to do what he came to do, which was deliver us from sin. So in verse 5 he says, Jesus came and was manifested among us, and he was not a sinner. He was spotless. He was clean. He was, as we say, the perfect Lamb of God. Now verse number 6, in my mind, and maybe in your translation it's a little bit, mine is New King James, but my verse number 6 says, whoever abides in him does not sin. And I thought about that, okay, But then I read chapter 1, and it says that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. If you say you don't sin, you make yourself a liar. So what is he saying here when he says, uh, whoever abides in him does not sin? When in chapter 1, if you look at verses 5, well, uh, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, etc., etc. In chapter 2, we have an advocate with the Father, so that when we do sin, we can plead our case, and he makes propitiation for our sins, right? So it's an ongoing relationship, but what does he mean here, whoever abides in him does not sin? And, and again, he's writing in Aramaic, and he's writing in the, the present perfect tense, so if, you, if you're an English major, you'll, you'll maybe understand that. But for instance, what he's saying is, let me, let me say it the way he really meant it. Whoever continues to abide in him, it's a present perfect. It's an ongoing thing that happens. If we continue to abide in him, then we do not continue to sin. Doesn't that make more sense? In other words, when we, when we come to Jesus, something happens. We're abiding in him like we're saved, being saved, and shall be, right? We have this relationship, and we're abiding in Him. And in that abiding comes this, this lifestyle that keeps us away from living in sin. doesn't mean we won't sin every now and then. We, we will. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is there, and 10, that if we do sin, we confess, and, and so on and so forth. But we don't live there anymore. And that's the point of what John is saying. If we continue to abide in Him, we don't continue to sin. And uh, so if, if we do continue to sin, uh, then, then we could say we've never seen him and we don't know him. But if we do abide in him and continue to abide in him, we could say that I've seen the Lord and I know the Lord. And because I see him and know him, then I, I abide in him and I stay away from sin, a sinful lifestyle. So many of you know my story a little bit of my salvation experience and my friend Lenny. But the backstory is, if you count the time when I was in eighth grade, when Sister Terebius told me I could receive Christ by just saying a prayer in my seat and not having to go up to the altar to receive the host, you know, that, that would be the first time. But later in my life, around 20 or 21, I said the sinner's prayer with some people in college. And I said the prayer, and I was sincere. But I can't really say that I, I saw the Lord and I, I knew what he was all about. But... Something happened a little bit right there. But a few years later, I, I said the sinner's prayer again in another situation. And, and that time, I, I was really serious. And I could see the Lord, you know, trying to 
come into my life. And, but I didn't really know the Lord. The, the third time, I was a little closer to it. But the fourth time, let me tell you, the fourth time, I was ready. I count the fourth time as the first time, although I'm not really sure that the first time might have been the very first time. I don't know. I'm glad I didn't die then to find out. But here I am. And so I had this thing happen, and the fourth time is my first time. But anyway, when that happened, I, I, I realized God was calling me, and I, I began to abide in Him. In other words, I was desperate for God at that point in my life. I wasn't desperate before. And it became personal. I could say, I saw Christ. I saw what Christ did for me. And I began to, to know and, and sense and understand what he did for me. My spiritual understanding was activated at that point. Can anyone, anyone relate to that? Like spiritual understanding, spiritual awareness became triggered. It turned on at that point. And so in verse number 6, when that happens, and we're, uh, we're continuing to abide in him, we do not live in sin anymore. So we, we could say, verse number 6, um, we could say, well, if I'm in Christ and, and living and continuing to abide in Him, it's impossible for me uh, to not be changed. It's impossible for me to live my old lifestyle with my old attitudes and behaviors and really say I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, if, there's, if, there's, if I'm living in a, in a sinful lifestyle and there's no remorse, no, 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 no grieving over sin, no conviction of sin, I could say, well, I've never really seen the Lord in the first place. Because if I did, I wouldn't be acting like that. I've never known the Lord. If I did, I would never respond to my sin that way. How did Peter respond? He went out and wept bitter tears. How did David respond when the whole thing happened with Bathsheba, when he got found out? He cried, he wept, he, he, he was beside himself, he repented. Read Psalm 51, he was beside himself. So we could say in verse number 6, uh, whoever continues to abide in him and, and will not continue in sin. So whoever does continue in sin has never seen him nor never known him in the first place. And he says, verse number 7, and I'll just paraphrase it again. He's saying, listen, church, don't be fooled. Don't let them pull the wool over your eyes. If it looks like an apple, smells like an apple, and tastes like an apple, it's an apple. It's not a banana, you know? And he's saying, look, in verse number 7, let nobody deceive you. If someone practices righteousness... He's righteous just as the Lord is righteous. The converse of that is true. If they're not living right, not practicing righteousness, the righteousness of God is not in them either. And so don't be deceived. Don't be so gullible to think that everyone's okay when just take a look and discern in your spirit where people are coming from. Verse number 8, he says, Now he, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And I had to think about that. Well, I sin. But again, it's the living in sin. The continuing mindset of who cares. It's not the isolated act of one sin every now and then. It's, it's, it's continuing to live there without feelings of sorrow. But he who continues in sin is of the devil. Now, can I just talk about the devil for a minute? The devil is Satan. The devil is Lucifer. The, the devil is uh, 
Lucifer means the morning star or the bright, the light bearer. He, his, his name is called Beelzebub. Beelzebub, he's a fallen angel. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver, and his days are numbered. But it says, he who sins or he who lives continually in sin is of the devil, as opposed to verse 9, which is, talks about being born of God, or verse 10, which talks about being a child of God versus a child of the devil. So he who sins is of the devil, and the devil fell from his prominent position in glory, booted out of heaven because of his pride and arrogance, and took with him a third of the angels, and now he's been cast out to the earth to cause havoc and destruction upon the people of the earth and to tear them away from their walk with God. But I always think about the one-third of the angels that went with Satan. That leaves, if my math is correct, that leaves two-thirds that are still with the Lord. So we have twice as many on our side than they have on their side, so we have twice as many good angels as they have bad angels. Peter said that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour prowling around, you know, trying to get into things. But anyway, verse number eight, he who is of the devil, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And here we go. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that part. Verse 8b, the Son of Man has come to destroy the works of the devil. He did a great job. He has destroyed the works of the devil. Turn with me in your Bible, if you can, or in your app, to Colossians chapter 2. We don't do this often, but how many remember in the old days, we were always doing this kind of stuff. Go to this passage, go to that passage, but it's a new day. But Colossians 2, verse 13 says, You, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the law. So let no one, I'm sorry, having dis- disarmed principalities and powers, that's that, that heavenly lingo, principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, Satan was absolutely defeated. He came to destroy the works of the devil. It's proclaimed in the Gospels at the last, the last chapter of each Gospel on the first day of the week. When the ladies went to visit the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was not there. He is risen. The, the epistles talk about it all the time. Paul specifically writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if there's no resurrection of Jesus, there's no faith, there's no preaching, there's no witnesses, there's no power... But now Christ is risen from the dead. He's become the first fruits of those that are called to be with him. And, and 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. So when I read uh, 1 John 3, 8, okay, the Son of Man has come. He was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I am convinced, church, that there's not a problem that we, could, that we have that God can't deliver us from. That covers everything. You may say, man, you don't know my problem. It doesn't matter. God came to give his life, 
and he defeated, the, destroyed the works of the devil. I like the word destroy better than defeat. Destroy means more like, ah. <laughs> but he destroyed the works of the devil, and he continues to destroy the works of the devil. And then look at then to verse number 9. Whoever is, has been born of God does not sin. Well, again, whoever is, is continuing to be born of God does not continue in sin. Because what? His seed remains in us. And now we're getting into some theology here, church. So we have a deposit in us. When we said yes to the Lord, he put his spirit into us. That's why the first time I said the sinner's prayer, I don't think so. Second time, I don't think so. Third time, but the fourth time, oh, I knew the spirit of God was doing something. I knew somebody, something was doing something with me. And that was the Spirit of God that came into my life and Pamela's life. And we were born again into the kingdom of God. John 3.3 says you're born of the Spirit. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 John 5.12 says he who has the Son has the life. The life of Christ in him. John 15.4 says if you abide in the vine, the vine is Jesus... If you abide in the vine, you will produce good fruit. You can't produce good fruit without abiding in the vine. 2 Peter 1.4 says, uh, Great and precious promises uh, have been given to you by which we can partake of the divine nature. Think about it. We have something within us that gives us the ability to overcome anything in this life. I'm speaking from someone that's still working on things in my life. But I see what the Word of God says. So verse number 9, he who has been born of God and continues to be born of God does not continue in sin. For his seed, God's seed, remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Or he cannot continue in sin because he's been born of God. If anyone has, has attempted to do that over the years, there's probably been some episodes in my life where I attempted to do that, live in some kind of little sin, and it's a miserable existence. It's, a, it's an undoable existence. You can't enjoy it, and, and you, can't, you, can't, uh, you, know, you, you can't enjoy that, and you can't enjoy the Lord. You're somewhere in the middle. And so, but if you're born again, and you continue to have a good, healthy relationship with God, you're born again, the seed of, of the Lord is in you, the Spirit of God is in you, you cannot live in sin. And that's why days like today are so important, to come to church, to worship God. Even if you're not feeling like the best in the world, you get out of bed, you come to church, you get on live stream, whatever, you worship God, you pray with people, and, and you trust God, something's going to happen as the saints of God get together. And boy, something happened today. God is moving in, in our place, in our church today. God is moving through worship today, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through praying with one another. God is moving. And uh, praise the Lord, God is... What, what, what did you say you were from? Baptist church? <laughs> well, hallelujah for that. <laughs> Is it a Baptist? Southern Baptist or what? Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's a church. It's, it's the body of Christ. And I'm just saying, when God's people get together, 
those kind of divisions go, go out the window. But God is moving in our midst, you know? That's why it's so precious to get together like this. So, okay, let, let's go on. So verse number 10, uh, now we give some evidence of, of, the, of, the, of the new life. Um, uh, he says, if, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, this is how you can tell if someone's a child of God or a child of the devil. I find this very interesting. You mean there's a way to tell? Yeah, there's a way to tell. It says if you, if you don't practice righteousness, you're not from God. So if you do practice righteousness, you're from God. So if you accept Christ in, in your life, guess what? You've got to begin to live a righteous life. You can't, you can't say one thing and do another. We already went through that in chapter 1. But John is saying, look, if you accept Christ, if you're abiding in the Lord, you cannot help but produce righteousness in your life. And, and secondly, you love the brethren, which is really maybe the main point of what he's getting at. You can't say you're a child of God and hate the brotherhood. You know, in verse 10, he says, if you're, if you, um, whoever, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is, nor is he who does not love his brother. So I find two characteristics of a born-again believer. They love righteousness. They practice righteousness. They do good things for the kingdom. They live a godly life. Not a perfect life. If they sin, they repent immediately. But they live a righteous life. And they love the brotherhood. Talk about a way to grieve the Holy Spirit. Let there be discord in the church. It grieves the Holy Spirit, as well as it grieves other people too. But when there's that love... It fulfills the purpose. Didn't Jesus say, everyone will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another, John 13. So then, verse number 11, it kind of reiterates, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I wonder if this is what John was getting at the whole time. You say you're born again, you, you you say all this and that, but you're not loving one another, you can't have that. When you're, when you're born again, the seed of God is in you, and the seed of God is in my brother or sister. There's a bonding between us. doesn't mean we agree on every single thing, but there's a respect and an honor among the body of Christ. And when that's not happening, we have to take a look. Well, what's wrong with my walk? What's wrong with my belief system? But this is, this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. As God has loved us, God so loved the world that he gave the greatest commandment, love God back with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love the body of Christ, John 13. So we are called to love one another and to live a righteous, holy life. And then he goes into verse number 12, which is an example from the Old Testament, which I find kind of interesting. So there were obviously Jewish people he was writing to in the churches. Not all of them were Jewish, but they probably, the Gentiles who became Christians probably knew about it. But he says, Cain was of the wicked one. Cain murdered his brother Abel. Remember, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain had a, brought a sacrifice that wasn't acceptable to the Lord, and Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to the Lord. And why did, uh, why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So we can't do evil works and expect to be called a child of God. It doesn't work that way. On the other hand, if we are called a child of God and we do good things, we do righteous acts, it may cost us our life, as it did with Abel. So, 
that's the passage of Scripture. To me, it was a little murky in some of those areas, but I think what, what we got was pretty good, that if we say we belong to the Lord, we are called to live now a godly, righteous life. Not a perfect life. We strive for perfection, but we live a godly, righteous life. So I want to I give you a, an overview of this, and then we're going to wrap this up and save the next part for next week. So the first thing is, in verse number 5, Jesus came to take away our sins. Let everyone get a grasp of that. That is the purpose of why he came. You know, I don't know what some people think he came for other reasons or additional reasons. I think once we get right with God, we're in his good graces. He could bless us however he wants to. But he came to take away our sin. Verse number 5. He was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there was no sin at all. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Philippians 2 tells us that, that uh, he left heaven, Jesus left heaven in the form of a bondservant in the likeness of man. He humbled himself to the point uh, of obedience, to the point of death, dying on a cross, and uh, his, his mission was accomplished. He came to pay the price for our sin, and he did it to the glory of God. And that's the Jesus that we serve. Secondly, in verse number 8, we see that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And we'll get into this next week, Lord willing, but when you think about it, Jesus' whole life was destroying the works of the devil. At his birth, he destroyed the works of the devil who wanted to kill him as soon as he was born. And the magi and the shepherd came to worship him. He escaped into Egypt. He defeated Satan then. He defeated Satan when he was tempted by Satan those three times by quoting the word of God and getting the victory over Satan then. He defeated Satan by numerous miracles and healings and raising the dead to life. He defeated Satan by his own death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So some of you may be dealing with, you know, I hear this a lot. Oh, Satan's after me. Satan's trying to get me. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Can I tell you something? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You may have Satan on your, t- on your toes. So what? You know what? So what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You may be getting hassled or whatever by demonic forces or by people that you think are demonic or whatever. So what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We have to get to a point where we're, we're not shaken by these things. You know, because Jesus gave his life you know, for, to take away our sin and to destroy the works of the evil one. Man, I love that verse. So if I feel a temptation or I feel, I feel pressure or something, I'll quote that scripture. Jesus, you came to destroy this thing in my life. I'm going to stand on your word. And, I, and through Christ, I could overcome that. So no temptation is going to over, overtake us, overpower us. You know, Jesus came to destroy those works of the devil. What's his agenda? Kill, rob, and destroy. Cause confusion and discord within the body of Christ, within our, within our personal lives. To cause confusion. And to make us angry, make us, you know, whatever. And Jesus came to give life and give it abundance, give peace. So just remember, he came to destroy the works of Satan in your life and in my life. And the third thing is this, uh, verses 9 and 10, that Jesus came to give new life, manifested 
by practicing righteousness and loving one another. We have a seed in our life, in our heart. We have a, a deposit of the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, you, people get hung up on this whole Pentecostal thing. If you're born again, whatever you are, whatever denomination you are, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt about that. So that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. We believe in another work of grace later on, perhaps, that God would empower us with the Holy Spirit. But, you know, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. He came to give us new life. You've got a seed of of life in your heart. I've got a seed of life in my heart. There's something alive in us. That's why, like, like for me, when, when I became born again, it's like the light went on in my, in my life. Somebody turned on the light. Like, I, I got it all of a sudden, you know? And, and it's like, wow, I'm aware, you know? But, but that, that's the seed of life that's in us, the Holy Spirit of God. So you got to cherish that seed, take care of that seed. That's another reason to come to church, isn't it? Nurture that seed, grow that seed, develop that seed, and see what God will do with that seed in your life. I think back on my personal life and Pamela's personal life. We've been saved a long time, and we've been married a long time, too. And, but God has done great things through our lives, and I would have never thought that would happen back in those days. But when you surrender it all to God, only God knows what he's going to do with you. And so I, I want to encourage you. Remember, what, remember the, this whole, whole overview. Jesus came to forgive you, take away your sins. Now, there's a whole thing to that. You don't, we don't have to live in sin anymore. Get a hold of that. Oh, you don't know my problem. I don't know, need to know your problem. I got my own problems. But I know that I could live without sin in my life. I know that. Oh, you don't know how Satan's chasing after me. I know Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan in your life and my life. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm all mixed up. There's a seed of faith in you. Water that seed and nurture that seed. and Let let faith speak to your heart about what to do. Why are you panicking? Why are you you panicking when, when, when God has all the answers for you? Just surrender. Surrender to it and live for him. Now, uh... If we had time, I'd go into the next section, but we'd have to be here for another hour or so, and I'm not going to do that to you, but you have to promise to come back to you the other side, because look, he's the chain breaker, right? He, he is the chain breaker, but think about this. Why, did, why does the word of God say, if he's the chain breaker, you put on the new man? Why does it say, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Why does it say, if, if anyone is in Christ, you know, what do you mean, if? Because it's up to you. <laughs> so he's a chain breaker. He's a deliverer. But he wants some cooperation with everybody else. There's some things he won't do. He wants us to do. And that's the second part of the message. Let's stand together. <laughs> oh, he's a chain breaker. Praise the Lord. Began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. He'll 
to complete it. He who started a work will be faithful to complete it in you. Praise you, Lord. Every head bowed just for a moment. Is there anyone here today, or if you're at home, you could write a note under the comments, that you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to do that today. Anyone, I want to receive Christ into my life. Raise your hand. I, want to re- I don't want to walk out of here not knowing what my future holds. I want to receive Jesus today. Anyone? Yes? Yes? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I want to receive Jesus. I just want to receive Jesus. I don't want to make a commitment to a church or to any... I just want to receive Jesus. I only want Jesus. It's not a bad place to be, let me tell you. I just want Jesus. I don't want all the other stuff. I don't want, I don't want rules. And, I just want Jesus. I just want God. I just want Jesus in my life. I don't think Jesus made it hard. Anybody else? this young lady I want Jesus I just want Jesus on live stream write us a note on live stream we'll get back to you I promise no one looking around just let me talk for a minute we have so much junk on our brain we associate God with so much other stuff that's not of God. It's not even funny. It's really pretty simple. It's God and you. Boom. It's holiness reaching into the unholy to save a soul. Boom. That's it. All he wants is someone to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay, that the young lady who raised your hand, would, would you mind walking up here? Would you you could come with someone? Come on, and just just stand here. Pam, you could come up and stand with her. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. That's, that's it. We make it so complicated. Well, let me ask another question here. Every head bowed still. This message, although somewhat murky in a sense, you get the point that when you come to Christ, the Lord wants you to step it up. (laughs) He wants you to step it up. Not perfection, but righteousness, loving your brother and sister. So let me speak to the body of Christ, those who are abiding in Christ and you feel some conviction that there's some stuff in your life that you know is not right. 
and you want to do something about it. And you, you may say, well, I've done this already. Well, you may have to do it for a, a while until you get the breakthrough. I always tell people to pray until. Pray until. Pray until you don't have to pray anymore. That may take you 10 years or more or whatever. But I want to give you an opportunity to lay it down, whatever it is, one more time. It could be your temper, your tongue, your, your uh, lustfulness, whatever it is. Whatever work of the flesh you could come up with, whatever it is. And you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh, I've already done that. Do it again. Just do it again. So I'm going to ask anyone, if you want to come up here, it's not for my sake. Sometimes, I said it before, it's the act of stepping up. It's the act of stepping out that the Lord sees and honors. So if you want prayer, come on up here. And I'm... This is Myram. This is Vickiana. We're going to say a sinner's prayer together. Everyone join in with me, if you would. So we can repeat after me. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, all I want is you. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I fall short. But I look at you, and I see purity and holiness and goodness. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And you defeated Satan. I believe you're alive right now. Knocking on the door of my heart. So I gladly open the door. And I say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my space. Come into my mind and spirit. Come into my body. Forgive me of my sins. And cause me to be born again into your kingdom. I thank you, Lord. And I receive you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Congratulations. I'll talk to you later. Let me pray again. Father, Lord God, if there's others here that we have stuff, we just want to empty it out right now. Lord, if, if we could empty our pockets or our purses or uh, empty out whatever we have that we don't want, there'd be a stack of trash up here in this altar. But Lord, symbolically, that's what we're doing now. I, Lord, I want to give you, church, I want to give you, Lord, my, my anger, my bad words, my taking the name of the Lord in vain, my lustful thoughts, my greed, my pride, my arrogance, my selfish independence, my hard-headed. All, Lord, I, I give it all to you. I give it all to you, Lord. I, I'm living for you. I'm abiding in you. And I don't want that stuff anymore. And, Lord, I know it may take time. It may be not. Maybe right now, boom, something's going to happen right now. Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you because we know 
based on this study, you're coming back for a pure, spotless bride. You don't, want to, you don't want to come back and see the bride wearing a gown that has stains on it. No, no death clothes. You're looking for a bride with those righteous robes upon her. So Lord, today we, we take off those old death clothes and we put on the righteousness of Christ. And we ask you, Lord, fill us with your spirit that we would really live a godly life In real life, let us live a godly life. Let us live a godly life behind closed doors as much as in the public arena. Let us live for you, Lord, and let our light shine. Let us be salt. Let us be light to the world around us. So I thank you for this, Lord, and I I pray that, that this message entitled Chain Breaker will resonate in our hearts, that there's nothing too difficult for you. You came to forgive us our sins. You came to destroy the works of the devil and you came to give us new life. And for that, we say, hallelujah. Lord, let us live in that knowledge and understanding. You are the chain breaker. And it doesn't all happen at once, but something happens at salvation. But now for the rest of our lives, you're still breaking chains. Lord, do it. Do it for your glory and do it for your purpose. And I pray your blessing, Lord, over the congregation, over the kids downstairs, over the teachers, over everyone on live stream. Let us have a great day of victory today. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, let's give this young lady a show of appreciation in the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, you're free to have some fellowship. We're going to have a little altar time up here. So if you need prayer, avail yourself to that. You may want to greet this couple before you go. God bless you.